Hi, this is Steve Nerlich from Cheap Astronomy. www.cheapastro.com And this is In Transit. Well, as you might be able to tell from my cheap hissy microphone, I'm on the road again for Cheap Astronomy's annual field trip, this time to Madrid in Spain. Now, this has some interesting links with last year's field trip to Los Angeles, as we've now covered the three points of the triangle of the three tracking stations of NASA's Deep Space Network. This is because, well, I'm from Canberra, Goldstone is in California's Mojave Desert, and the third site is just outside Madrid. But all this international jet-setting has an effect on producing a weekly podcast, so here's a couple of short pieces to keep the routine going. The first one kind of links back to the trip to Los Angeles, when I phoned in briefly to This Week in Science. What follows is a little piece I recorded in response to a question they put out to the audience back in February, I think. Except, for some reason, the question was never mentioned again, and consequently this answer was never aired. So, for prosperity's sake, here it is. Hi, Kirsten and Justin. Here's an answer to the question about whether a real spacecraft crash on the moon might look anything like what you see in the TV show Space 1999. Now, Everything we've ever landed on the moon uses hypergolic fuels, like hydralazine, which can still ignite and explode through chemical reactions that do not require the presence of oxygen. But the chances of there being a hypergolic reaction of significance within a spacecraft that is in the process of shattering to pieces is very unlikely. There's a Mythbusters episode where they try and fail to get a car to explode when it drives off a cliff with a full gas tank. These things only happen in the movies. But okay, in Mythbusters style, let's imagine we crash a spacecraft filled with hypergolic explosives on the moon. First, there will be a huge release of heat and light, but of course, no sound. The explosion will radiate outwards but not especially upwards, and you won't see smoke rising from the wreckage after it's all over. The only reason hot air rises on Earth is because colder, denser air is being dragged down by gravity to displace it. So, on the Moon, things blow out, not up. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Nerlich from the Cheap Astronomy Podcast. Bye! And I'm just breaking in here to fully demonstrate to you what a cheap travel microphone is really like before we go on to another little segment which was pre-recorded on the Superior Cheap Astronomy Home Base microphone. Something I do when I'm not recording Cheap Astronomy podcasts is to write a sort of weekly column for Fraser Kane's Universe Today. Each of these weekly posts is titled Astronomy Without a Telescope, and I'm going to read you the edition for the 7th of May, 2010. Astronomy Without a Telescope, by Steve Nerlich. Getting Orientated We've all been there. You've met someone nice, 
but for some inexplicable reason, they don't get astronomy. So, how do you start gently introducing them to your life's passion, about astronomy that is, without scaring them away? It is important to recognise that not everyone will be instantly in awe to learn that you own a 14-inch Schmidt Cassegrain with 4-speed micro-slew. Weird, but there it is. And it's probably going to be a challenge to get that special someone to drive out to a lonely spot in the wilderness for some proper dark sky viewing, and it's probably best not to even mention the term naked eye astronomy. So, start with something easy, like the sun. It's big and it's obvious, and everyone gets that it rises in the east and sets in the west. And of course, that means that the Earth is actually spinning from west to east. And hey, you're an astronomer, so you're bound to know your cardinal directions on familiar ground. So just point. We're spinning that way. And if you happen to be in the right part of the lunar cycle, you might comment on one of those romantic moonlit evenings that last night at about this time, the moon would have been, say, a handspan to the west. Don't dwell on it, just put the idea out there. Then the next night, let your potential new partner note that, hey, it's moved even further east. They might even comment on the fact that it's filled out a bit. Good, but this is not the time to introduce them to the word gibbous. You need to stand back. Because what's really happening is that your potential new partner is starting to make their own astronomical observations. All you should be doing is to find an occasional moment to pull the background together for them. So if they've noted that the Earth is spinning from the west to the east, you could point out that if you're looking down on the Earth from space, somewhere above the North Pole, you would see the Earth spinning anti-clockwise. And since they figured out that the Moon inches further east, day by day, that also means it's orbiting the Earth anti-clockwise. Hopefully you've captured your potential new partner's interest enough to carry the conversation on with the fact that actually all the planets orbit the Sun in that same anti-clockwise direction. All going well, they might even ask you to clarify if the Sun spins which of course it does, in that same anti-clockwise direction, once every 28 days. You might then casually note that there's a theory that the whole solar system formed from a gas cloud that spun down into a disk, all of which was spinning in that same direction. But don't push it. Be okay moving on to another conversation topic and this is certainly not the time to introduce them to the conservation of angular momentum. Pace yourself. All going well, a wealth of discussion topics could arise in the days to come. Your potential new partner might ponder whether all the planets all spin in the same direction, to which you can reply, well, mostly, except for Venus and Uranus, and then you might find yourself talking about planetary collisions. Or maybe you'll be asked whether all the planets' moons orbit in the same direction, to which you can reply, well, mostly, 
But for example, there's Triton that goes the wrong way around Neptune, probably because it migrated in from the Kuiper Belt. And then wait for the exclamation, There's a Kuiper Belt now? Good luck. OK, well, that's about it, folks. This is Cheap Astronomy, jet-lagged, but in Spain. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Nerlich from Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com. Cheap Astronomy offers an educational website. Y tengo que dormir. No hay advesencias. No hay beneficios. Solo ciencia buena. Chao y buenas noches. Oh, and one more thing you might want to know. JAXA delayed the Akatsuki Icarus and Unitech 1 and the three Pico satellites launch until at least the 21st of May, just due to concerns about the weather. Hopefully everything is still going to go ahead as planned. And that was last week's episode, if this isn't making a lot of sense. Seriously, thanks for listening. Going to bed now. Bye.